Chapter 18 of The Measurement of Intelligence by Lewis Terman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Leon Harvey. Chapter 18 Instructions for Year 14. Test 1 Vocabulary 50 Definitions, 9,000 Words. Procedure and Scoring. As in year 8, year 10, and year 12. At year 14, 50 words must be correctly defined. Test 2. Induction test. Finding a rule. Procedure. Provide six sheets of thin black paper, say 8.5 by 11 inches. Take the first sheet, and telling the subject to watch what you do, fold it once. And in the middle of the folded edge, tear out or cut out a small notch. Then ask the subject to tell you how many holes there will be in the paper when it is unfolded. The correct answer, 1, is nearly always given without hesitation, but whatever the answer, unfold the paper and hold it up broadside for the subject's inspection. Next, take another sheet. Fold it once as before and say, Now, when we folded it this way and tore out a piece, you remember it made one hole in the paper. This time we will give the paper another fold and see how many holes we shall have. Then proceed to fold the paper again, this time in the other direction, and tear out a piece from the folded side and ask how many holes there will be when the paper is unfolded. After recording the answer, unfold the paper. Hold it up before the subject so as to let him see the result. The answer is often incorrect, and the unfolded sheet is greeted with an exclamation of surprise. The governing principle is seldom made out at this stage of the experiment, but regardless of the correctness or incorrectness of the first and second answers, proceed with the third sheet. Fold it once and say, When we folded it this way, there was one hole. Then fold it again and say, And when we folded it this way, there were two holes. At this point, fold the paper a third time and say, Now I am folding it again. How many holes will it have this time when I unfold it? Record the answer and again unfold the paper while the subject looks on. Continue in the same manner with sheets 4, 5, and 6, adding one fold each time. In folding each sheet, recapitulate the results with the previous sheets, saying, with 6, for example, When we folded it this way, there was one hole. When we folded it again, there were two. When we folded it again, there were four. When we folded it again, there were eight. When we folded it again, there were sixteen. Now tell me how many holes there will be if we fold it once more. In the recapitulation, avoid the expression, when we folded it once, twice, three times, etc. As this often leads the subject to double the numeral herd instead of doubling the number of holes in the previously folded sheet. After the answer is given, do not fail to unfold the paper and let the subject view the result. Scoring. The test is passed if the rule is grasped by the time the sixth sheet is reached. That is, the subject may pass another five incorrect responses, provided the six is correct and the governing rule can then be given. It is not permissible to ask for the rule until all six parts of the experiment have been given. Nothing must be said which could even suggest the operation of a rule. Often, however, the subject grasps the principle after two or three steps and gives it spontaneously. In this case, it is unnecessary to proceed with the remaining steps. Remarks this test was first used by the writer in a comparative study of the intellectual processes of bright and dull boys in 1905, but it was not standardized until 1914. Rather extensive data indicate that it is a genuine test of intelligence. 
Of 14-year-old school children testing between 96 and 105 IQ, 59% passed this test. Of 14-year-olds testing below 96 IQ, 41% passed. Of those testing above 105, 71% passed. That is, the test agrees well with the results obtained by the scale as a whole. Of average adults, only 10% fail. Of the superior adults, fewer than 5%. As a rule, the higher the grade of intelligence, the fewer the steps necessary for grasping the rule. Of the superior adults, only 35% fail to get the rule as early as the end of the fourth step. The test is little affected by schooling, and apart from differences in intelligence, it is little influenced by age. Other advantages of the test are the keen interest it always arouses and its independence of language ability. It is being used successfully with immigrant subjects who had been in this country but a few months. We have named the experiment the induction test. It might be supposed that the solution would ordinarily be arrived at by deduction or by an a priori logical analysis of the principle involved. This, however, is rarely the case. Not one average adult out of ten reasons about the situation in this purely logical manner. It is ordinarily only after one or more mistakes have been made and have been exposed by the examiner holding up the unfolded paper to view that the correct principle is grasped. In the absence of deductive reasoning, the subject must note that each unfolded sheet contains twice as many holes as the previous one and must infer that following the paper again will again double the number. The ability tested is the ability to generalize from particulars where the common element of the particulars can be discerned only by the selective action of attention. In this case, attention to the fact that each number is the double of its predecessor. Test 3. Giving differences between a president and a king. Procedure. Say, there are three main differences between a president and a king. What are they? If the subject stops after one difference is given, we urge him on, if possible, until three are given. Scoring. The three differences relate to power, tenure, and manner of ascension. Only these differences are considered correct, and the successful response must include at least two of the three. We disregard crudities of expression and note merely whether the subject has the essential idea. As regards power, for example, any of the following responses are satisfactory. The king is absolute and the president is not. The king rules by himself, but the president rules with the help of the people. Kings can have things their own way more than presidents can, etc. It may be objected that the reverse of this is sometimes true, that the king today often has less power than the average president. Sometimes subjects mention this fact, and when they do, we credit them with this part of the test. As a matter of fact, however, the answer is seldom given. Sometimes the subject does not stop until he is given a half dozen or more differences, and in such cases the first three differences may be trivial and some of the latter ones essential. The question then arises whether we should disregard the errors and pass the subject on his later correct responses. The rule in such cases is to ask the subject to pick out the three main differences. Sometimes ascension and tenure are given in the form of a single contrast as the president is elected, but the king inherits his throne and rules for life. This answer entitles the subject to credit for both ascension and tenure, the contrast as regards tenure being plainly implied. Unsatisfactory contrasts are of many kinds and are often amusing. Some of the most common are the following. A king wears a crown. A king has jewels. A king sits on a throne. A king sets on a thorn, as one feeble-minded boy put it. A king lives in a palace. 
a king has courtiers. A king is very dignified. A king dresses up more. A president has less pomp and ceremony. A president is more ready to receive the people. A king sits on a chair all the time, and a president does not. No differences, it's just names. A president does not give titles. A king has a larger salary. A king has royal blood. A king is in more danger. They have a different title. A king is more cruel. Kings have people beheaded. A king rules in a monarchy and a president in a republic. A king rules in a foreign country. A president is elected and a king fights for his office. A president appoints governors and a king does not. A president lets the lawyers make the laws. Everybody works for a king. It is surprising to see how often trivial differences like the above are given. About 30 average adults out of 100, including high school students, give at least one unsatisfactory contrast. The test has been criticised as depending too much on schooling. The criticism is to a certain extent valid when the test is used with young subjects, say of 10 or 12 years. It is not valid, however, if the use of the test is confined to older subjects. With the latter, it is not a test of knowledge, but of the discriminative capacity to deal with knowledge already in the possession of the subject. It would be difficult to find an adult, not actually feeble-minded, who is ignorant of the facts called for, that the king inherits his throne while the president is elected, that the tenure of the kings for life and the president for a term of years, that kings ordinarily have or are supposed to have more power. Even the relatively stupid adult knows this, but he also knows that kings are different from presidents in having crowns, thrones, palaces, robes, courtiers, larger pay, etc., and he makes no discrimination as regards the relative importance of these differences. The test is psychologically related to that of giving differences in year 8, and to the two tests of finding similarities, but it differs from these in requiring a comparison based on fundamental rather than accidental distinctions. The idea is good and should be worked out in additional tests of the same type. The test first appeared in the Binet Revised Scale of 1911. Coleman admits it, and besides our own, there are a few statistics bearing on it. Our results show that if two essential differences are required, the test belongs where we have placed it, but if only one essential difference is required, the test is easy enough for Year 12. Test 4. Problem Questions Procedure. Say to the subject, listen and see if you can understand what I read. Then read the following three problems, rather slowly and with expression, pausing after each long enough for the subject to find an answer. A. A man who was walking in the woods near a city stopped suddenly, very much frightened, and then ran to the nearest policeman, saying that he had just seen hanging from the limb of a tree a... blank. A what? B. My neighbour has been having queer visitors. First a doctor came to his house, then a lawyer, then a minister preacher or priest. What do you think happened there? C. An Indian who had come to town for the first time in his life saw a white man riding along the street. As a white man rode by, the Indian said, The white man is lazy. He walks sitting down. What was the white man riding on that caused the Indian to say, He walks sitting down? Do not ask questions calculated to draw out the correct response, but wait in silence for the subject's spontaneous answer. It is permissible, however, to reread the passage if the subject requests it. Scoring. Two responses out of three must be satisfactory. 
The following explanations and examples will make clear the requirements of the test. A. What the man saw hanging. Satisfactory. The only correct answer for the first is a man who had hung himself, or who had committed suicide, been hanged, etc. We may also pass the following answer. Dead branches that looked like a man hanging. A good many subjects answer is simply a man. This answer cannot be scored because of the impossibility of knowing what is in the subject's mind, and in such cases it is always necessary to say, explain what you mean. The answer to this interrogation always enables us to score the response. Unsatisfactory. There is an endless variety of failures. A snake, a monkey, a robber, or a tramp being the most common. Others include such answers as a bear, a tiger, a wild cat, a cat, a bird, an eagle, a bird's nest, a hornet's nest, a leaf, a swig, a boy in a swing, a basket of flowers, an egg, a ghost, a white sheet, clothes, a purse, etc. B. My neighbour. Satisfactory. The expected answer is a death. Someone has died, etc. We must always check up this response, however, by asking what the lawyer came for, and this must also be answered correctly. While it is expected that the subject will understand that the doctor came to attend a sick person, the lawyer to make his will, and the minister to preach the funeral, there are a few other ingenious interpretations which pass as satisfactory. For example, a man got hurt in an accident, the doctor came to make him well, the lawyer to see about the damages, and then he died and the preacher came for the funeral. Or, a man died, the lawyer came to help the widow settle the estate, and the preacher came for the funeral. We can hardly expect the 14-year-old child to know that it is not the custom to settle an estate until after the funeral. The following excellent response was given by enlightened young eugenists. A marriage? The doctor came to examine them and see if they were fit to marry. The lawyer to arrange the marriage settlement and the minister to marry them. The following logical responses occurred once each. A murder? The doctor came to examine the body. A lawyer to get evidence. And the preacher to preach the funeral. An unmarried girl has given birth to a child. The lawyer was employed to get the man to marry her, and then the preacher came to perform the wedding ceremony. Perhaps some will consider this interpretation too far-fetched to pass, but it is perfectly logical and unfortunately represents an occurrence which is not so very rare. If an incorrect answer is first given and then corrected, the correction is accepted. Unsatisfactory. The failures again are quite varied but are most frequently due to failure to understand the lawyer's mission. Of 66 tabulated failures, 26 are accounted for in this way, while only 6 are due to inability to state the part played by the minister. The most common incorrect responses are a baby born, accounting for 5 out of 66 failures, a divorce, very common with the children tested by Dr. Ordahl at Reno, Nevada, a marriage, a divorce and a remarriage, a dinner and entertainment, some friends came to chat, etc. In 20 failures out of 66, marriage was incorrectly connected with a will, a divorce, the death of a child, etc. The following are not bad, but hardly deserve to pass. Sickness and trouble. The lawyer and minister came to help him out of trouble. Or, somebody was sick. The lawyer wanted his money, and the minister came to see how he was. A few present is still more logical interpretation, but so far-fetched that it is doubtful whether they should count as passes. For example, a man and his wife had a fight. One got hurt and had to have the doctor. Then they had a lawyer to get them divorced. Then the minister came to marry one of them. Again, someone is dying and is getting married and making his will before he dies.
C. What the man was riding on. The only correct response is bicycle. The most common error is horse or donkey, accounting for 48 out of 71 tabulated failures. Vehicles like wagon, buggy, automobile, or streetcar were mentioned in 14 out of 71 failures. Bizarre replies are a cripple in a wheelchair, a person riding on someone's back, etc. Remarks The experiment is a form of the completion test. Elements of the situation are given, out of which the entire situation is to be constructed. This phase of intelligence has already been discussed. While it is generally admitted that the underlying idea of this test is good, some have criticised Bennett's selection of problems. Newman thinks the lawyer element of the second is so unfamiliar to children as to render that part of the test unfair. Several armchair critics have mentioned the danger of nervous shock from the first problem. Bobertag throws out the test entirely and substitutes a completion test modelled after that of Ebbinghaus. Our own results are altogether favourable to the test. It is used in year 14, Newman's objection hardly holds, for American children of that age do ordinarily know something about making wills. As for the danger of shock from the first problem, we have never once found the slightest evidence of this much-feared result. The subject always understands that the situation depicted is hypothetical, and so answers either in a matter-of-fact manner or with a laugh. The bicycle problem is our own invention. Bennett used the other two and required both to be answered correctly. The test was located in year 12 of the 1908 scale and in year 15 of the 1911 revision. Goddard and Coleman retained it in the original location. The Stanford results of 1911, 1912, 1914 and 1915 agree in showing the test too difficult for year 12, even when only two out of the three correct responses are required. If the original form of the experiment is used, it is exceedingly difficult for year 15, as here given it fits well at year 14. Test 5. Arithmetical Reasoning Procedure The following problems, printed in clear type, are shown one at a time to the subject, who reads each problem aloud, and, with the printed problem still before him, finds the answer without the use of pencil or paper. A. If a man's salary is $20 a week, and he spends $14 a week, how long will it take him to save $300? B. If two pencils cost $0.05, cents, how many pencils can you buy for 50 cents? C. At 15 cents a yard, how much will 7 feet of cloth cost? Only one minute is allowed for each problem, but nothing is said about hurrying. While one problem is being solved, the other should be hidden from view. It is not permissible if the subject gives an incorrect answer to ask him to solve the problem again. The following exception, however, is made to this rule. If the answer given to the third problem indicates that the word yard has been read as feet, the subject is asked to read the problem through again carefully, aloud, and to tell how he solved it. No further help of any kind may be given. Scoring Two of the three problems must be solved correctly within the minute allotted to each. No credit is allowed for correct method if the answer is wrong. Remarks We have selected these problems from the list used by Bonser in his study of the reasoning ability of children in the 4th, 5th and 6th school grades. Our tests of 279 at-aged children between 12 and 15 years reveal the surprising fact that the test as here used and scored is not passed by much over half of the children of any age in the grades below the high school age. 
Of the high school pupils, 19% failed to pass, 21% of ordinary successful businessmen, and 27% of Nolan's unemployed men testing up to the average adult level. Defined average intelligence cutting such a sorry figure raises the question whether the ancient definition of a man as the rational animal is justified by the facts. The truth is, average intelligence does not do a great deal of abstract logical reasoning, and the little it does is done usually under the whip of necessity. At first thought, these problems will doubtless appear to the reader to be mere tests of schooling. It is true, of course, that in solving them the subject makes use of knowledge which is ordinarily obtained in school, but this knowledge that is, knowledge of reading and of addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division, is possessed by practically all adults who are not feeble-minded, and by many who are. Success, therefore, depends upon the ability to apply this knowledge readily and accurately to the problems given. Precisely the kind of ability in which a deficiency cannot be made good by school training. We can teach even morons how to read problems and how to add, subtract, multiply, and divide with a fair degree of accuracy. The trouble comes when they try to decide which of these processes the problems call for. This may require intelligence of high or low order according to the difficulty of the problem. As for the present test, we have shown that almost totally unschooled men of average adult intelligence pass this test as frequently as high school seniors of the same mental level. Test 6. Reversing Hands of Clock Procedure Say to the subject, suppose it is 6.22 o'clock, that is... 22 minutes after 6. Can you see your mind where the large hand would be and where the small hand would be? Subjects of 12 to 14 year intelligence practically always answer this in the affirmative. Then continue. Now suppose the two hands of the clock were to trade places, so that the large hand takes the place where the small hand was, and the small hand takes the place where the large hand was. What time would it then be? Repeat the test with the hands at 8.10. 10 minutes after 8, and again with the hands at 2.46, 14 minutes before 3. The subject is not allowed to look at the clock or watch, or to aid himself by drawing, but must work out the problem mentally. As a rule, the answer is given within a few seconds or not at all. If an answer is not forthcoming within 2 minutes, the score is failure. Scoring. The test is passed if two of the three problems are solved within the following ranges of accuracy. The first solution is considered correct if the answer falls between 4.30 and 4.35, inclusive. The second if the answer falls between 1.40 and 1.45. And the third if the answer falls between 9.10 and 9.15. Remarks. It appears that success in the test chiefly depends upon voluntary control over constructive visual imagery. Weakness of visual imagery may account for the failure of a considerable percentage of adults to pass the test. Visual imagery, however, is not absolutely necessary to success. One eight-year-old prodigy who had 12-year intelligence arrived in 40 seconds at a strictly mathematical solution for the second problem, as follows. If it is 2.46 and the hands trade places, then the little hand has gone one-fifth the distance from 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock. One-fifth of 60 minutes is 12 minutes, and so the time would be 12 minutes after 9 o'clock. Such a solution is certainly possible by the use of verbal imagery of any type. The test shows a high correlation with mental age, but more than most others, it is subject to the influence of cribbing. For this reason, other positions of the clock hands should be tried out for the purpose of finding substitute experiments of equal difficulty. Until such experiments have been made, it will be necessary to confine the experiment to the three positions here presented. Schooling seems to have no influence whatever on the percentage of passes. 
This test was first used by Binet in 1905, but was not included in either the 1908 or 1911 series. Goddard and Coleman both include the test in their revisions, placing it in year 15. They give only two problems, our A and C, and require that both be answered correctly. Neither Goddard nor Coleman, however, indicates the degree of error permitted. Something depends upon original position of the hands. Binet used 620 and 246. For some reason, the 246 arrangement is much more difficult than either 810 or 622, yielding almost twice as many failures as either of the other positions. Alternative tests. Repeating seven digits. This time, as in year 10, only two series are given, one of which must be repeated without error. The two series are 218-3439 and 972-8475. Note that in none of the tests of repeating digits it is permissible to warn the subject of the number to be given. Remarks. Bennett originally placed this test in year 12, giving three trials, but later moved it to year 15. Goddard and Coleman retained it in year 12. Our data show that when three trials are given, the test is too easy for year 14, but that it fits this age when only two trials are allowed. That after the age of 12 or 14 years, memory for relatively meaningless material like digits or nonsense syllables improves but little, and that above this level, it does not correlate very closely with intelligence. End of chapter 18 of the Measurement of Intelligence Read by Leon Harvey